Perfect. Can you all hear me? Yeah, sounds like it. No, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is there any way to cut one or two of the slides, though? Okay, maybe not. Yes. Uh, perfect. So um, I'll just give you guys a brief introduction, and uh, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, so like Michael Sawyer said, I teach the ninth grade guys uh, right now, um, and my backstory is my family moved here in 01. So I'm actually, uh, I actually did grow up uh, in this youth ministry. Uh, Brett was my youth pastor and um, had a really great time coming through this youth ministry. So it's been fun to have gone through it, watch everything that Brett and others have done um, to really make this an amazing place for students. That is excellent right there. I'm not blinded. Um, and so my wife and I uh, went to Baylor, as you can see from the I'm wearing it in solidarity, not only for the women's basketball team, but also for Texas Tech. Do we have any Raiders in here? Okay, yes, that is, right there, that's a nation that prays. Um, they, uh, yeah, they've, they've really had a good run this year. So, so we went to Baylor, um, and then we went to Dallas, and then we came back. And so we've been plugged back into this youth ministry for about four years. We're um, really excited about it. Just love the kids and, and love what God's doing here. So specifically today, I've got the third week of integrity, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 4, but um, I wanted to introduce, just as we're heading into this, um, a couple of definitions, and I don't want to lose sight of the definition that Michael Sawyer gave last time, which is integrity is, it is, um, let me just not butcher it here, it's when what is, is what is, and I think speaks to there being just a single definitive um, truth, right? And so whenever you're standing in integrity, it is what it is. Um, and I actually have adopted that in sort of my daily vernacular. But I want to offer up a couple of other just dictionary definitions and then launch into a story. So one definition that the dictionary has is to, it's a firm adherence to a code, especially moral. Uh, it's an unimpaired condition. So if something has integrity, there's no cracks in it, right? It has a firm foundation. And then finally, it's the quality or state of being uh, where it's complete or undivided. And that final one will play towards the end. But um, I, really, integrity has had a very interesting uh, story in my life because I, whenever I was at Baylor, in 06, I went off to Baylor and I thought, man, I am going to go be the next Donald Trump, right? This is, of course, before he got onto Twitter and as a national platform. But I thought, I'm going to be in finance and real estate. I want to really go make a name for myself. So I went to Baylor, and a couple of years in, we had a little financial crisis that sort of changed the uh, trajectory that we were all in. And so I thought, well, I'd like to get a job whenever I get out of school. And there's no telling what's going on with the economy, so I'm going to switch into accounting. So I went to uh, Baylor, finished with an accounting degree. But while I was in the accounting program, as a bit of a capstone course in our auditing section, uh, we had a project that was very, very difficult. And the professor specifically said, look, this is very tough. I don't want you speaking to your parents. I don't want you trying to research this online. You have to do this on your own as a team, no cheating whatsoever. You would think that's pretty straightforward, right? So there's about 40 or 50 of us that are in this class that are working on this project. And a few weeks in, as the deadline is approaching, a couple of the students decided, you know what, nobody's going to find out about this, right? Like, we can call our parents. We can look online. Like, we care about this. This is a big portion of our grade. And so sure enough, one day the auditing professor was walking through the hallways of the business school, and he managed to stumble upon these students that had the course. I mean, they had the case study up. They were coming through it. And he happened to just kind of look over their shoulder, because they were friendly, uh, and discovered that they were cheating. And that just sparked a massive, massive witch hunt throughout the entire program. Because as you can imagine, 
uh, being an accountant, having ethics and adhering to integrity uh, is really, really important. Um, and you guys remember Enron, right? Yeah, so Enron was that firm out of Houston, energy company that essentially cooked the books. So they defrauded investors, the stock market, and everyone because they were being unethical. They were trying to post a return so that they could get a, a stock price, an earnings per share, whatever it is that they were really hunting for. And they actually took down one of the biggest public accounting firms in the United States and, and really kind of the world. So at one point in time, uh, there's PricewaterhouseCoopers, there's KPMG, Deloitte & Touche, Ernst & Young. Well, there was another firm out there by the name of Arthur Anderson. And the fact that Arthur Anderson was in on this and wasn't doing their job correctly um, allowed for this massive scandal to occur. People lost their life savings. The employees lost their life savings. It was a disaster. And so what came out of that was the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, SOX. So for any of you that are with publicly traded companies, SOX has touched you one way or another and probably made your life a lot more complicated because of a few bad actors. But that's why it was so important to our program that students not be cheating um, and that they actually adhere to a sense of ethics and have integrity that regardless of what was going to happen, um, they were just going to present their project as is. So the outcome of that, remember, we are seniors in one of the worst financial times in U.S. history trying to become accountants to go get jobs, and nine kids got kicked out of the program. They were on the tail end of graduating and going to start their lives, and they got kicked out of the program because Baylor said, look, we absolutely have to adhere to a certain set of standards. You cheating sets a very bad precedence, and we can't have that kind of name out in the marketplace. And so in, the, in that situation, those kids had a very, very immediate consequence for taking that action. But it really stuck with me um, because, thankfully, uh, my group, uh, we were fine. Nobody cheated. Uh, but we had a student on our team that had sort of towed the line, and he actually got kicked out. Uh, he had been in communication with his parents, and as this witch hunt was ensuing, he actually came forward and said, look, I've talked to my parents. My team doesn't know about this, but you know, I, I don't want everybody to get, um, uh, to get kicked out for this, so I'm going to step forward. And so he actually got kicked out. Um, and so that was a big step for him. But had he not done that, I mean, all of our careers could have been at jeopardy. And as I was going through that time, uh, and my, my wife can attest to this, because this took weeks. I mean, it, I mean we were terrified uh, of what was going to happen. And I really clung to Proverbs 10.9. Uh, it says, the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Uh, and that verse, year after year after year, has really stuck with me because there's nothing like being able to put your head on the pillow at night and not have to fret over what can come out, whether it's in business, your personal life, uh, whatever it is. So I um, really encourage you guys to, to look into that verse. But um, digging into specifically uh, the verses that we're looking at, so I'm going to go ahead and hop into 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 4. I'll read the passage and then give a little bit of context for Samuel, uh, just in case it's been a little while since you all have looked into him. Um, but 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 4 reads, Samuel said to all of Israel, I have listened to everything you have said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I, have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. And they replied back, You have not cheated or oppressed us. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. 
So those are the verses that we're going to look at, and really the topic for my discussion today is, is a, a, a legacy of integrity, right? So that's something that I've been focused on for many, many years. What does your legacy look like? Um, a lot of us, and this point really stuck home with me as we were sitting in Pastor Kevin's sermon last week, but um, I think his wife Lindley made the comment like, hey, three or four generations from now, nobody's going to remember our name." Right? I mean, can y'all remember your, your great-great-grandparents' names? Do you guys know their story? You know, maybe their legacy is living through you, um, but that's something that I think gets passed on. We live these lives, and yet nothing either makes a mark and gets carried on, uh, or it does, and sometimes that's uh, a bad thing. But that's really been important, and I think that's really what um, Samuel is talking about here. So Samuel, if you'll remember, uh, his mom was Hannah. And Hannah, for many, many years, wanted to have children, but she couldn't. And so she prayed and prayed and prayed, and God listened to her and granted a child. And so she, being thankful to God, decided to dedicate that child into his service. And so Samuel entered into the the priesthood, the judgeship, uh, and that was her thanks to him. And Hannah went on to have several other kids after Samuel. And so if you look at those passages uh, in 1 Samuel, that's where we get a sense of our baby dedication, right? So whenever we put our our babies up front and the family stand up and the church says that they're going to be behind them, that passage of Scripture is is where we get baby dedication from. So that's a little bit about Samuel, a little bit about judgeship and kingship overall. Um, After Joshua, there was a series of judges that came to lead the people. Uh, So Joshua was really the forerunner for that, and uh, the Israelites did not have any sort of a system to have a king, and that was something that God continually told them, look, you do not want to have a king over you. Kings oppress you. They'll tax you. You'll have to do whatever they say, plus kings are fallen people. So he established a system of judges where these individuals would lead the nation a bit as a kingship, but really more as the authority of God uh, and without having that authority to tax the people and, and really act as a king would. What's interesting here, though, is Samuel was really that last judge. So he was the last person uh, before it was handed over to Saul to be the people's first king. And that was because the people were absolutely adamant, we must have a king. For all these other nations to take us seriously, we need to make sure that we have a king in place. And so finally... Um, God, Samuel, relented and said, okay, we're going to place this king over you. Uh, Saul was selected, and, uh, and he was placed as king. So I want to dive into these scriptures just a little bit, dissect them, provide some more context, because I'll admit, as I first read through these four verses, I thought, well, you know, okay, this is pretty straightforward. I'm not, I'm not really sure what we can uh, garner from this, especially as it relates to integrity. But through some readings, some resources uh, that Michael Sawyer gave me, um, there's actually some interesting things that we can pull out. So um, one of the things I think is important is he's starting this farewell speech. So all of chapter 12 is known as Samuel's farewell speech to the people. Uh, and in the first verse he says, To all Israel, I have listened to everything you have said to me and have set a king over you. Moving into number two, now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. So a couple of interesting things to pull out of there. One, Samuel had been their leader for a very long time. Uh, In those days, judges oftentimes would lead armies and would actually fight. um, And plus, 
you had all the other things that were going on around them. You had just the, the, the struggles of, of time, famine, disease, that sort of thing. So for Samuel to have made it through that tenure uh, speaks to the fact that likely the hand of God was with him. Um, that was somebody that God wanted to have in place as the leader, and so God was with him to lead him through that time, particularly in battle, right? That can be incredibly dangerous. And we see time after time with David, um, where he would go into battle and be successful, even numbers were against him because God was with him. So uh, Samuel is calling that fact to light, saying, look, I've been with you for a really long time. I think clearly God has a purpose for me and this judgeship to be in place. Another thing that he offers, um, and really just reading this at face value, it doesn't stand out, uh, but it says, my sons are here with you. So this is kind of an interesting transfer of power, right? Back in those days, common for you to be able to hand power over without there being some sort of a revolution uh, or some sort of coup. And so they're talking about completely changing their system of governance. Uh, and so for Samuel's sons to be willing to go along with this and not fight, not try to take a position, not try to make sure that they can be the first king uh, is very important. Now, if you've read 1 Samuel, you know that Samuel's were not great representations of what a godly, uh, what you would expect out of a godly family. They would take bribes. They would sleep with the temple women. They, they would do all these things. And so they were absolutely not fit to be leaders. And yet, they were not going to fight to try to take this position. There was not going to be bloodshed with this changing of the guard. So that, that's kind of important, right? Because that shows that they were willing to honor what was happening here. And so that's why Samuel calls it out, so that there wouldn't be a division within the kingdom. People wouldn't try to take the side of the sons. Um, they would honor the fact that Saul had been placed as their king through the process. Uh, moving on um, to verse 3, it says, Here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I've done any of these things at all over my tenure, I will make it right. So this is really the crux of the integrity uh, section of this passage, right? Throughout his entire tenure, Samuel is really putting himself on, on trial. And he's saying, guys, I've led you for a very, very long time. At what point in time did I ever take something from you that I shouldn't have? When did I take a bribe? When did I rule unjustly for somebody else? Uh, and the people's response in number four is, you didn't, right? Um, you chose to act with integrity. You did not use your position to unduly take from us. Uh, and it's really this that puts him uh, in this blameless sight. And it's important that he's setting himself up for that. Um, because as we'll talk about in just a second, that, that changing from judgeship to kingship comes with some trials. And so Samuel is being very wise and trying to almost... I mean, he's being honest. He's saying, look, I didn't take anything from you, so you have nothing uh, to hold against me. But he's also setting the stage for what the people can expect with a king. Uh, because just judges in those times were supposed to be blameless. They were God's prophet. They were God's leader for the people. And so there was a sense that they could be blameless, that they should walk in integrity. And he's calling out these specific things. Um, you know, whose animals have I taken? What bribes have I accepted? Whom have I cheated? The reason why he's stacking that argument into place is because with kings, there was an understanding that there would be some taking from the people. There was an understanding that a tax could be placed against the people that was not in place uh, during the judgeship. And so Samuel is really trying to show the people, look, you've had a pretty good tenure with me as your judge. 
You're now moving over to kingship, and you know exactly what that looks like. You say you want to be like these other nations. That's all great that they have a leader, but understand that you're about to be hit with some hardships that you otherwise would not be hit with if you were willing to accept God's decision to keep judges in place. So it's interesting that he stacked um, his argument like that because, uh, you know, as the people are sitting there thinking about the consequences that they're getting themselves into with Saul, which was not necessarily a great tenure, they could look back and reflect on what Samuel said and say, you know what, maybe we did get this thing wrong. Maybe we should have listened to God's appointed person uh, and accept that, you know, we don't need kings, right? God is our king and we just need to follow our leader, the judge. So... Um, I, I want to shift this a bit into to Christianity and, and end with a, uh, you know, a final story. Um, integrity is so, so important for a variety of reasons. Um, one, uh, our Christian walk, our relationship with Christ is really built on integrity. A lot of what we do is internal. Okay, it's, it's suppo- we're supposed to be the light on the hill, we're supposed to be the salt to the earth, but yet a lot of our day-to-day walk with Christ is very personal. Um, you know, Christ talks about, um, you know, if you have committed, uh, uh, if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's very personal. People may or may not know what your actions are going to be. Um, the way that you treat finances, whether or not you pay taxes the way that you're supposed to, a lot of that stuff's very personal. A lot of that stuff doesn't get found out. And yet every single day, you're making a choice to follow Christ. The old man is dying and the new man is walking with Christ. And so that's where integrity plays into our life every single day on a very personal level. Um, the next place that we really see this is uh, in just our expectation of how we deal with God. And so I want to flip to two verses real quick. The uh, first one is Psalm 66, 18. Uh, and it says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Um, speaking to the fact that if we're sitting there torn, right, if we're a house divided, um, that we're petitioning God for whatever it is, uh, concerns that we have, praying for the, uh, the well-being of other people, if we have this area of sin that we've clung to and we're making that the Lord of our life, it makes it a little bit tough for us to have that, that clear relationship with God that we're looking for. Uh, flipping over into Proverbs 1, 28 through 29, It says, Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. So uh, the challenge there is what area of life can we look at where we're clinging on to something, that lordship that we want to have control over, um, that may be affecting our communication with God. That's something that only you can really address, but you know, know that it has consequences. If you're wanting to hold on to this thing at the expense of giving it over to God, that very well may impact your ability to communicate with God for prayer and devotions. Um, and I want to end with just one last analogy um, and then just a, a petition. So, you know, the, the, the Titanic story uh, could be a bit overdone, right? But I, I think it can be very applicable. Um, as all of you know, the Titanic was supposed to be the unsinkable ship. And yet, on its very first voyage, hit an iceberg and sank. Now, what's interesting about that, though, is that the ship was designed to be able to run into some trouble, to have the hole penetrated, and still be able to go on. And as the, uh, as the ship approached the, 
uh, area where the icebergs were, were sighted. They actually ignored the warning. They were so sure that that ship could survive anything and that there was no real danger out there. They just plowed ahead. In fact, they picked up speed because they wanted to make headlines that, hey, you know, we made our first voyage ahead of schedule. You know, we're, that's just how amazing this ship is. As they got into the water and the first icebergs were sighted, they still did not take any action. The warnings were there, but they still continued to plow forward. And as we know, they plowed right into the side of this iceberg that penetrated so much of the hole that it swamped the ability of the tanks to be able to handle the water and the ship to be able to right size. And I think many of us approach sin and integrity in the same way. Um, I know many times in my life I felt bulletproof. You know, I felt like, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be fine. No matter what it is I'm doing, everything will work out and I'll be fine. Um, and so we just plow right into the danger. And the issue that we run into with integrity and sin is it's not necessarily that one time, okay? Had the Titanic hit just one little section of the iceberg and no more else, that, that tank would have operated the way it was supposed to. And yet it rubbed along the entire side and just completely swamped the ship. And so we treat sin and integrity the same way, right? Sin that one time, walk away from it, repent to God, and we're able to, to move on. And yet we rub up against sin taking those little baby steps that eventually swamp us. And so I, I just I hope that kind of sticks with you, and maybe you can use that with your, your teenagers uh, as to you know, how, how a big ship like that could sink and how we can sink if we continue to rub up along the iceberg. Um, because I will tell you all, um, in speaking with the students, um, I've been involved with teenagers for a long time. Even though we've only been back at the church for four years, we taught students up in Dallas, which was kind of an inner city type environment. Um, and even before that, helping out with students, leading on mission trips, DNOW, and that sort of thing. And integrity is one of the hardest things that students deal with because much of it is very internal and they feel like they can control whatever's going on. Um, and in speaking with them on a weekly basis, they are deeply struggling with how do I walk with Christ? How do I make this faith real to me and you know, honor my parents and, and live up to some of these expectations that have been put on me? And yet I have a device that accesses the entire world for better or for worse. You know, they're seeing these, these lives of what it looks like whenever they can make decisions on their own whenever they can reject that judgeship and instead pursue that kingship over their life and all the chaos and turmoil that that can bring into their life. And it's very, very tough for them to talk about it. And they're struggling with it day in and day out because the life that they see on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever medium it is that they use looks really fun and looks really attractive at just the glimpse. Uh, and it causes them to very much question whether or not it's worth the 10 minutes a day that they should be spending in Scripture, whether or not it's worth it for them to reject that relationship that feels really good right now and instead pursue a life of purity. Um, you know, all these things are constantly peppering them. So my challenge to you as parents, and I definitely need to stop, is, uh, is, is really dig in deep, right? You need to be talking to your teenagers about what's really going on with them um, because I, I, they give me surface-level answers all the time, and you absolutely have to dig into it. Um, and then the other aspect of that is make sure you're modeling it, right? I grew up in a Christian household. Like, my, my parents are Christians, but how I'm wanting to lead my family is going to look very different from the way that I experienced it. Um, and part of that was I, I never saw failure in my house. I never saw what it looked like to sin and repent and what it meant. 
Um, and so very likely your teenagers are feeling this high level of expectation of we have to be perfect, we have to act a certain way because we may or may not see what's really going on in the house. And so that might be my uh, challenge to you all this week is identify an area of opportunity where you can speak to your teenager about an area you've been struggling in as it relates to integrity and open that door for them that it's okay to have these healthy conversations and you model the way of what it looks like to go to God and repent, maybe a spouse and repent, um, you know, whatever it may look like. So I'll leave you guys there. Um, I'll pray for us and then I think we're going to move on into questions. So. God, thank you very much uh, for today. And uh, God, we do thank you for the rain. It can be inconvenient. It can be frustrating to have it on the weekends. But God, we know that uh, it's something that we desperately need. And uh, we just ask that you'll keep people safe through this. God, we pray for the parents of these teenagers um, that they will uh, understand how integrity plays so critically in their life as they're leading their students. Uh, their students are watching them, God, and, and we know that they are the leaders of their household and they have the greatest influence on their, on their kids, God. And we just ask that you'll walk with them in that. Open up the door to, uh, to their teenagers' hearts. Allow them to speak into it. And allow this to be a week of change um, where they can really take integrity and run with it. It's your name we pray. Amen.